How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It certainly has happened over the course of my practice where I get into a bit of a debate with a parent about the way that they're using hitting their kids. In what way? What they try and convince me of is that that really is a thought out, almost strategic parenting approach that they're using in order to discipline their kids. I just don't buy it. So do you mean like the spanking families or do you mean like the striking families? My contention is if you're hitting your kid, you may say like, this is how I choose to hit my child, but it's because you don't know what else to do or you've decided that that's the most effective thing or that was what was done to you. But you're never going to convince me that that's the best choice. And then there are those people who just get out of control and they're just, you know, letting it fly. So you're smacking your kid across the face or you're whacking them in the grocery store. The impact isn't very different. Right. And then there are people who use anger and aggression or experience anger and aggression because they are so anxious that they need things to go a certain way. I guess what I really want to talk about today is the hitting is the result of something. The hitting is the end product of what in our families or what in our relationships. If you are angry and aggressive, is it because you don't have any better emotional management skills? Yes, spoiler alert. Or is it because you're really anxious and you need things to go a certain way? And when people don't follow what your anxiety needs you to do, then you lose it. There are a lot of things that get people to that place of being angry and aggressive. And it's just, I think, something that's important to talk about as we're talking about anxiety and depression and creating emotional connection and what are the skills you need, what are the skills you want to teach your kids about managing their emotions. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Anger and aggression are really indicative of a lack of those important skills. So sometimes it really is coming from a place of anxiety. Sometimes it isn't, and you can help us understand the difference between the two. Yeah. So when we look at it coming from a place of anxiety, because people will often ask me, you know, when my child gets anxious, like when we're forcing her to do something that she's really anxious about, she flips out and she'll hit me or she'll kick and scream or she'll say horrible things. And then afterwards, very often these children are very remorseful. So they come back to the parent and they say, I'm so sorry I behaved that way or I'm sorry I hurt you. I didn't mean to do it. When you have a child who's really anxious and very rigid, remember it's fight 
or flight. So that fight part is a really important thing to remember, particularly with young kids. Because think of an animal cornered, they're going to come out fighting. So this happens a lot in schools where you've got a child who their fight or flight system has been activated. They're feeling very scared about something. They don't feel like they can step into something. They don't have the skills to manage it. Nobody has explained to them about what anxiety is or what worry is. And they will come out swinging because they're trying to protect themselves. It's really important if you've got a child who gets into that state, this is where the term that I use all the time, this is where front-loading is so important. You want to help them make a connection between their experience of being scared or not knowing how to handle something or their experience of being very rigid that things have to go a certain way, the way they respond in order to manage those big feelings. The younger the child is, the less expectation we have of them being able to control it because, you know, toddlers will do this. But as a child begins to get older, as they start to enter school, we really want to help them see the connection, which means that we want to address those big feelings and thoughts that show up when you're anxious. We want to externalize them. We want to make that connection for them between all this energy in their body. We want to talk to them very directly about fight or flight. And we really want to make sure that we are clear with children that that is not a plan, that is not a response that we want to reinforce. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when kids freak out like this and they get aggressive and they get angry and maybe they hit and they kick, there's a punishment that follows. There's a consequence because the family is saying, you know, there's no hitting in this family or you can't hit mom or you can't punch your brother. But there's not a stepping back and looking and seeing what are the skills that this child doesn't have based on the fact that their anxiety is really getting them into a place where they can't manage uncertainty. So that's where we see it with anxiety for sure. I can picture easily a cornered child feeling very overwhelmed and unable to process the worry or the issue that's causing them to be anxious. Mm -hmm. As they get into the teen or tween stages, what does that look like? Well, the problem is, is that if you have been using that strategy as a way to avoid, escape, get out of something, it gets reinforced because a lot of times it works. And I see this happening a lot where as you become a tween or a teen, you realize it's no longer going to work for you outside of the family. Right. Because other kids will say, go jump in a lake. Right. Or you're going to get kicked off the basketball team, or you're going to get suspended from school, or you're going to get fired from your job. But at home, that behavior, that pattern of behavior has been accepted. Not accepted like, yeah, that's fine, but you know what? There's nothing we can do about this, or that's just the way he is, or we have to make sure that we don't upset him. You know, that's the, one of the things that happens in families when you've got somebody that's explosive, when you've got somebody who's angry and aggressive is that people begin to walk around on eggshells because they don't want to deal with that behavior. So that's a way of reinforcing it. What that child learns as they become a tween or a teen is that in situations where, and you know, I don't like to use this word and I'll use it, it's sort of a paradoxical thing, but in a situation where I'm safe, 
meaning that I'm safe from consequences or I'm safe from social ramifications of this, this is my best go-to because it gets people to back off. Or get what you want. Or get what you want, which is oftentimes what you want is to get people to back off. If we're tying this to anxiety, I want you to leave me alone. I don't want you to do this. The thing that I see oftentimes in families where this pattern has been going on is that it doesn't take much for a kid to figure out that if I use this type of behavior when I'm truly anxious, when I truly feel cornered, you know, literally or figuratively, and it works, well, then I'm just going to use it in other areas as well. So if you've got a kid who's really socially anxious, they throw a complete scary fit in order to not go to school. You know, they bang their head against the wall or they throw things or whatever. And you say, okay, 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 you don't have to go to school. I get it, I get it, I get it. And then later on, as they mature, you say, I need you to empty the dishwasher or I need you to do this or I need you to cooperate with me. They've learned that that's a go-to pattern of behavior. It gets reinforced and validated, not on purpose. It's often very inadvertent, but it gets reinforced. So you've got a kid who's never really learned this really important skill of emotional management. It may have started out with this really powerful, anxious response, and now it sort of bleeds out into other interactions. It becomes your go-to. When we come back, we'll talk about what parents should do as this shows up in young kids before it gets to this tween or teen phase. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, And I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, 
they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. All right. So, of course, I'm always talking about prevention. So, what do we want to do before it gets to this phase, right? We want to deal with this before it gets big and out of control. Let me say what you don't want to do, first of all. What you don't want to do, even if you recognize that this is a pattern of behavior in an anxious child, that when they get overwhelmed, they hit and they kick and that kind of stuff, you don't want to say to them or to anybody else, well, there's really nothing we can do about it, and this is because of their anxiety. So you don't want to give a kid a big old pass on this type of behavior, even though you know it's caused by the anxiety. Something tells me that's actually a very common response. It is a very common response, and it's one of the things that I have to pay attention to because sometimes parents will bring their kids into me and they learn a lot about anxiety. They've now said, well, my child has anxiety. I have this anxious child, and so now I I can understand the behaviors that they're having. But understanding the behaviors doesn't mean that then now we allow the behavior to continue. What are the other behaviors that we're trying to pay attention to with anxiety? Even though we know that the child is avoiding because of the anxiety, we don't support the avoidance. Even though we know a child is not wanting to go to school, we don't support that because we know it's from anxiety. So it's the same as this. But I do hear that a lot. Well, I mean, that's just because he's anxious. I will tell you, parents, if you say that to other adults, it just doesn't go over well because what you're saying is to other people, my child has this behavior because they're anxious. So all of you have to accept their anxious behavior or you have to accept their angry, aggressive behavior because my child has this problem. That's a bad way to go. What we want to do instead is you got to get right down in there. You have to work with helping your child recognize when the anxiety shows up and how are you going to respond differently to it. If your child is learning this and they have a big explosion and they kick and they scream and they hit, you don't punish them, but you do a post-game analysis. If your child is remorseful, that's great. You do a post-game analysis so that then they can begin to make the connection between their big feelings and the behavior that happened. But it is really, really important, don't say to your child, to other people, this just happens. He goes from zero to a hundred. People will say to me, it's just like a flip of a switch and there's nothing we can do about it. Suddenly he's just in that state. You want to slow it down. You want to talk about what are the first signs that you see that your child is going to begin to escalate. You want to pay attention to that. I've seen it in my office. I've had kids in my office where parents will say, it's just like a flip of a switch. We don't see anything. All of a sudden, they're just furious and they're throwing things around. They're in my office and I'm saying something that they don't want to hear. I'm asking them to do something that is going to be difficult because it's going to be the opposite of what the anxiety demands. 
and I can watch them start to crank up. Now, maybe it only takes three minutes. It doesn't take 30 minutes, but I absolutely see that there is a escalation. I can see an expression on their face. I can see it in their body language. I can see it in a tone of voice that they use with me that they don't usually use with me. There are warning signs. And one of the analogies that I use a lot with kids is that I have them look at videos of animals where animals are giving you warning signs that they're going to blow. Dogs have warning signs. Cats have warning signs. Horses have warning signs. And what you can really do with your child is begin to talk about the steps that happen, the phases that they go through, the changes that you see that ultimately result in the aggressive behavior. And you want to lay it out, make a drawing, make a map so that they can see this is breaking things down into parts. This is using sequencing. You don't just want to say, oh, they do that because they're anxious. We don't say like, well, you know, he drives like that because he's drunk, right? I mean, we just can't do anything about it. We say we've got to back it up and we've got to talk about the patterns. The other thing too is that parents get really scared and afraid that there's something seriously wrong with their child if they get aggressive like this. So they begin to think that, well, this can't be just anxiety. There must be something else wrong. Is that a possibility? Sure. But anxiety, when it is in control, when it is powerful, it is very, very common for kids to get aggressive, for them to get angry, and for them to often hit and kick and scream and yell and say things they wouldn't say. Anxiety is powerful enough to create these patterns in young people and in adults, by the way. If a parent's listening to this and they're trying to understand, they'll say, well, do I need anxiety management or do I need anger management skills for my kids? What's your answer to that? You need emotional management. Right. Right. The anger is the result of you not being able to tolerate uncertainty, not being able to tolerate things not going your way, not being able to tolerate big feelings. Like if I'm working with a child that has a really difficult time when they lose, so they're playing a board game and they recognize they're losing or they strike out during a baseball game and they lose it, they tip over the board, they throw their bat, they quit. That is a child who needs to work on emotional management. So think about it. Always think about what's the skill that we're trying to teach. And it usually starts with, when we're talking about anxiety and emotional management, it usually starts with the ability to tolerate blank. So if you've got a kid who has a really hard time losing, you have to talk to them about the fact that if they're going to be in this arena, that they're going to have to tolerate that it doesn't feel good to lose. Some people, it bothers more than other people. Some people are more competitive than other people. But how are we going to tolerate those big feelings? How do we tolerate it when somebody hurts our feelings? Because some kids blow if they feel they've been slighted, if they feel like somebody is criticizing them, if they feel like somebody has said something that is hurtful to them or is unfair. I see a lot of kids who have a very strong sense of justice and if they feel like something is unfair, they will blow. How do we tolerate dealing when things don't go the way we want them to go and the big feelings that come with that? There are plenty of kids that are really anxious and they never get aggressive or violent. They never hit, they never kick, they never scream. But 
a lot of them do. A lot of them say things that they wouldn't normally say. This is reminding me, we did an episode kind of talking about the Pixar characters in the Inside Out movie. Mm -hmm. It's a very important understanding that the fear character is who people often associate with worry and anxiety. But in fact, anxiety is an umbrella term that's equal parts fear, disgust, and anger Mm -hmm. and sadness. Anxiety is like a bigger umbrella term, and it's not a simplistic emotion. Right. And if we focus too much on the stereotype of a simplistic emotion of fear or worry, it makes this much harder to grasp. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. As we're talking about this, what I want people to understand is that anger and aggression is often the result of all of those complicated emotions that come with anxiety, right? Anxiety isn't just, oh, I feel worried and scared. It brings with it all sorts of different responses. Like you said, all sorts of different feelings. I think that in our culture, in many cultures, men, as I talked about in the control freak issue, men would rather be seen as angry and aggressive or are more accepting of anger and aggression than they are of anxiety and worry. Because anger and aggression are associated with strength and anxiety and worry are associated with weakness. Right. But just to clarify, like the rubric we're talking about, instead of anxiety and worry, it's really fear and worry because anxiety is all four of them. Yeah. Yeah. When we think about being anxious, remember, anxiety is this state in which we feel overwhelmed, that overestimation of the problem and underestimation of your resources to deal with it. Or the response of something uncertain. That's right. And the part of our brain that gets triggered in that anxious response, as we talked about in the last episode, the amygdala, that's our fight or flight response. That's our protect you. That's our keep you alive response. So anxiety gets all tangled up in all of these emotions and result in all sorts of different responses. When somebody is anxious, sometimes they get angry and aggressive. Other people get catatonic. Like they literally shut down. They don't talk. They disconnect. The way that anxiety operates, I always say it's not complicated. We know, we know how it operates. But the emotional responses that people have can be very varied, for lack of a better term. Right. And that's why as a skilled clinician, you're able to identify why something is anxiety in a variety of contexts, even though the behaviors can be so different looking. I think when you're talking to families, I think you've heard thousands and thousands of situations and they can all look very different. But you always say anxiety isn't complicated. And despite the variety of ways people learn to express very big emotions, not very healthily, you're able to always see the pattern of uncertainty or all of these types of things that show up. Mm -hmm. If we got somewhat skilled at that, it's very helpful as parents and as humans. Yeah, very helpful. If we take it out of the purely the anxiety realm and think about as a parent, what do you want to teach your child? You want to teach your child that they're going to feel all sorts of different feelings. The good ones are easy to deal with, right? Nobody says like, oh, I don't know how to handle my happiness or gosh, this joy is really driving me nuts. It's those big uncomfortable feelings that we have to help kids deal with. We want them to have the language to talk about it. 
We want them to understand that it's normal to feel this way, but we really want to pay attention to the responses that we teach kids. Those kids turn into adults that lack emotional management skills. Those kids turn into adults that if things don't go my way, that if I don't have things exactly how I expect them to have, if my family doesn't cooperate with the demands of my rigid anxiety, then they're going to pay a price. And I see that in families all the time. I see it a lot with obsessive compulsive disorder. I see it a lot with social anxiety. I see it a lot with any kind of rigidity where somebody says, this is the way we have to do things because my anxiety demands certainty. There are a lot of big, strong, negative emotions that are socially disruptive. And that's what we want to help kids with. When we come back, I want to talk about the families where the adults say, this person has a big temper. Mm. And we'll talk about a new way of thinking about that. Okay. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make 
responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Robin, I have parents that'll come in and they might say it about themselves or they might say it about their partner, where they talk about somebody in the family, the adult in the family, as having a hot temper or a short temper, right? So we all know that Bob has a temper. And when I hear that, what that says to me is that this person has a really hard time handling when things don't go the way that they expect. So you know that homework assignment I give all the time is go around the dinner table and everybody says, what's the unexpected thing that happened today and how did you handle it? Bob, hot temper, you go first. Bob says, well, I went to the grocery store and I was looking for this particular thing and somebody cut me in line and they had 14 items in their cart. And in the line, it said you could only have 12 items in your cart. And so I told him to F off and then everybody would be like, okay, next. This is reminding me of like what we talked about on a recent episode. This is just who I am. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So we give that label like he has a hot temper. It's really important for us to recognize that you can feel whatever you want to feel, but you can't respond however you want to respond. When they say like, oh, he just has a hot temper, that to me is a rigid person. I mean, I have a lot of empathy for people like that because if we go back in their family tree, we're going to see that this child who then became a teenager, who's now this hot-tempered adult, nobody ever taught them how to manage their emotions. Nobody ever showed them that it's okay to feel this way, but let's figure out what we can do so that you don't respond that way. And there are a lot of families where that absolutely was accepted and modeled. You know, there's plenty of adults that I've talked to that had a very violent, explosive adult. And they do not do this. They walk around on eggshells with themselves and with everybody else because they're so afraid of this hot temper. But there are a lot of adults where that is just an accepted way of behaving. It really comes down to modeling. If you are showing your kids that when things don't go your way, it's appropriate for you to explode, whether it's because of anxiety or not, oftentimes it can be, You are not giving them an opportunity to see how it's done. You've got to walk through it. You've got to model it for them. You're a parent and you're a parent with a temper. This is really resonating for you. You know that you are a yeller. Mm -hmm. You might know that you wish you didn't yell. I doubt our listeners would say, I have a hot temper and I get a free pass because you wouldn't be listening. Right. Our listeners are so awesome. We would have lost you a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you know you're a yeller and you know that you need to work on your emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Typical night, you're exhausted, long day at work, you're trying to put the kids to bed and then you're just ready to lose it because one of the kids spilled a whole box of pasta all over the living room carpet. You feel like your parenting tank is empty and you're ready to yell. Mm-hmm. 
what would you whisper in the ear as the as the good angel <laughs> versus anxiety being the cartoon on the other shoulder? Yeah. The first thing I would say is that this is not an emergency. So the pasta, it's not an emergency because that reaction, that's like, ah, this is an emergency. So I would say, this is not an emergency. And then I would say, it is really okay for you right now to take a moment of time so that you can think about what's going to come out of your mouth next. And one of the things that I've said to parents very often, and that I used to do myself too, is that you can say to your kids, I'm really frustrated right now and I don't want to lose it. So I am just going to take a moment or two and I will be back. It is really okay to just say out loud that you are in the moment working on managing your response. And that's a wonderful thing to model. And we did an episode on yelling a long time ago, probably like in season one, I think. But I feel like oftentimes people will say to me, well, the only way I get my kids to listen is if I totally lose it on them. That's a trained response also, so pay attention to that. But it is really, really, really okay for you to say in the moment, I feel like I'm about to explode. I'm just going to step away for a minute. I will be back. I have to make a note on that. Yeah. We did do an episode about yelling. Neither of us do really yell. Mm -mm. And someone wrote and said they didn't believe us. <laughs> so I remembered that. That we don't yell? Yeah. It, it's the truth. It's the point of like, if that's someone's culture, they grew up in a house of yellers. They're now in a house raising kids as yellers. A different way was never modeled for them. That's right. I had a mom who, very cheery until she wasn't, when she was really angry. Mm -hmm. I noted that. As a kid, I noted that I did not really like that all of a sudden she would get very upset because she finally hit her limit. Right. So with my own kids, I have learned to say, I've said this a few times in a really nice voice. I don't know how much longer I can stay in this nice voice. I've just been very honest about mm -hmm. my frustration. They hear that. And then I've also learned in my marriage you don't have to scream. If you look at your partner in the eye and say, I'm really angry at you right now, I promise they get the message. Yeah. You don't have to yell for right. people to get the message that you feel anger. Mm -hmm. The big point that I want to make is that when people are anxious, when they're overwhelmed, a lot of times when young people are depressed, it shows up as irritability. We see that irritability. We see that anger. We see that intolerance. It is really okay to talk very openly about the fact that you can have these feelings, but that the response to them is really what we want to pay attention to. And we just have to model that. We just have to talk through it. I remember my friend Christine told me this story a while ago because one of her kids was procrastinating and not wanting to do things. And she was having a hard time sort of getting them to see, like, if we do it tonight, then we won't have to be stressed out in the morning. And so she was driving in the car and the car was low on gas. And she said out loud, because her boys were in the back, you know what? I really don't feel like stopping and getting gas right now, because it was probably like freezing cold out in New Hampshire. I wish I could just go home. But you know what? I'm thinking ahead right now. And I don't want to have a stressful morning tomorrow when we don't have enough time. So I'm going to stop and get gas right now. So it was just a very great example of her verbally out loud 
walking through how she was managing her internal self. And when we can begin to do that with our kids, and like you say, when we can say, I'm getting really frustrated with you right now, or I've asked you to do things, I can feel that I'm getting to that point that I don't like to get to as a parent. I'm pretty sure most people don't like to get to that point as a parent. You do feel regret afterwards. The problem is some parents justify it. They say, well, that's what I have to do and nothing else works. I don't buy that for a second. But if you can just talk through it, and if you can help your kids make the connection between these are the big feelings that I'm having and these are the responses that don't work when I have these big feelings and what can I do instead, it's okay. Tell your kids to go outside and run around the house. Tell them to use, off their, use their energy up in a different way. But you cannot expect a child to be able to manage their anxiety if you don't teach them about anxiety, about worry, about its rigidity about its demands. If you don't teach them, they will continue to have these big, huge responses because they don't know what else to do. That's just the bottom line. And there are plenty of adults who are in the exact same boat. And again, I have empathy for those people because when I see them, I know they don't know what else to do. I just like to say I freaked out in August. You did? Yeah. I mean, I'm not pretending that this stuff is all easy and I never do it wrong. Yeah. So I got very stressed and freaked out. Not at a person. It was a technical thing. You and I were actually trying to record an episode while I was traveling Mm. and I didn't have the right equipment. And so my son was like (laughs) helping me figure out my husband's laptop and every single thing that could have gone wrong, went wrong, and I totally lost it. So I do lose it once in a while. But it wasn't at a person. So I think because it wasn't at a person, I kind of allowed myself to escalate. I did what we talk about after this. That was really frustrating for me. I didn't handle my frustration well at all. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for helping me in that situation. I might not have been able to show how grateful I was when I was so stressed about a deadline I was trying to meet and do mm-hmm. this because your aunt is so mean she would yell at me if I was late. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's true. It's true. I'm so I'm sure you must have been terrified at the ramifications <laughs> of not showing up on time. I'm so awful to you. Yeah. No, we had, it was because of our schedules. We had a very small window. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to throw out that it happens. Well, and one of the things too is that when they sort of look at and interview parents about when are you most likely to lose it, when are you most likely to punish your kids, it's when there's time pressure. It's when you're trying to get ready, you've got to get to a meeting, we've got to get the school bus because it's the clock ticking. I mean, there used to be a game show, you probably don't remember, there used to be a game show called Beat the Clock. And the whole stress of the game show was the clock was ticking because that's a very real feeling that escalates our anxiety, it escalates this, oh my gosh, things are going to go wrong. Yeah, we're all going to do it. We're all going to lose it. We're going to fall apart. And really, it's okay if it does happen, then you do that post-game analysis and you say, you know, this is what was going on inside of me and I wish I could have handled it better. And I bet you felt that way sometimes too. It's really okay. We're not perfect. This is not about perfection. 
but it's also not about giving yourself permission or giving your kids permission to have these huge emotional mismanagement episodes without owning it and then using it as an opportunity to teach some really, really valuable skills. Because a lack of emotional management is what gets a lot of people in a lot of trouble that they don't want to be in. Okay, so you know I've been traveling a lot, Robin. You travel a lot, but you're a better traveler than me because you know all the hacks. Like you're just like you've got it going on. And usually when I get on a plane, I just have my like don't talk to me face on. I have my earbuds in. I don't want to engage with people. I sat down on a plane. I think I was leaving St. Louis. The plane was packed. I was in the middle seat. There were two people on either side of me. And it was the strangest but most wonderful thing. We gabbed the whole time on the plane. We all had kids about the same age. The guy next to me was a musician. His name was Michael. Hello, Michael. I told him to listen to the podcast. The other one woman sitting next to me was Linda. Hello, Linda. But it was just the most enjoyable three hours. So I'm just saying this. Every once in a while, it's good to sort of be social and to interact. I just shut it down when I'm on a plane. It was really, really nice. These were really nice people, and we had such a wonderful conversation. I just like to point out, so one of the things that I think is so powerful about travel, mm -hmm. I'm even an extrovert on planes. You are? I've heard many a life story. People tell me everything. Oh. Okay. Okay. Before you go there. All right. Debbie Downer. Yeah. After you talked with Michael and Linda, how did you feel about the world? Yeah. Okay. So that is a very, very good point. I felt so much better about the world. It's so important we remember yeah. that the world is filled with good people. Yes. Yes, Robin. Thank you for saying that. It's so true. We were showing pictures of our kids. We were also proud of our kids. Our kids had had difficulties. There was a lot of honesty. There was a lot of just sort of joining in the difficulty of being parents of kids that were young adults. You're right. I did. I got off that flight and I thought like, I just randomly sat between two very lovely people. So thank you. That's a very good lesson to remember. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.